We uh, return now for the third installment of our series on alternative approaches to divorce. Hi, everyone. This is Jim Mitchell. And in this special series, uh, the Chicago Legal Latte podcast, um, we've been talking with Annette Corrigan, Patty Levinson, and Amy Wilhelmy uh, about different ways to approach divorce, uh, how the situation can be handled outside of the, the norm. And today we're going to talk about in those alternative approaches, um, look at the division of assets and property. But before we do that, Patty, maybe I could kind of lean on you to kind of recap uh, our first couple of episodes. And when we say alternative approaches, divorce, what exactly are we talking about? Well, what we're talking about is an approach to divorce that really does not involve the court in any decision-making process. Um, so what we have is an uncontested divorce where both parties reach out and say, okay, we've reached an agreement. Can you draft up the documents for us? Um, the second alternative approach to divorce that we discussed was mediation, where the parties will go to a neutral third party to act as a mediator to help them arrive at an agreement um, as to the division of their assets and how their children are going to um, be, I don't want to say handled, but sure. how the parties are going to address issues with their children post-divorce. And um, then there's also the collaborative divorce approach, which is also an alternative to litigation. And there each party has a collaboratively trained attorney and perhaps other members of a collaborative team that advocate for them and assist them in reaching an agreement that ideally meets both of their needs. And Amy, from your background as a marriage and family therapist, as well as a divorce mediator, um, just quickly, some of the benefits of using these alternative approaches. Right. Um, well, divorces are traumatic in themselves. And so we're using these alternative approaches to kind of mitigate that, um, to make it more peaceful. And then ultimately, if there are children involved, uh, make it more peaceful for the children and really lead people in the direction of um, peaceful co-parenting, because mm -hmm. that's that's what they're going to have to do. So we kind of do a lot of coaching about relationships and and explaining that although their divorce does finalize their relationship in the legal standpoint, they're still going to have to have a relationship. It's just going to change. And then coaching people through that so that they can they can be the best parents they can be. And that uh, maybe I'm making a leap of faith here now. It sounds as if these alternative approaches tend to be at least a bit more amicable. Um, there's more cooperation. Is it safe then to assume that they the couples can negotiate the division of assets more amicably as well, or is that not necessarily a, a fair statement? I think when you're utilizing either of these approaches, any one of these three approaches, um, the parties are for the most part on the same page. If one of them is not, if 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 the, if, the, if any one of them is not on the same page with regard to children or assets, this mm -hmm. approach is not going to work. Um, you can start off like what I do is where I'm the sole attorney that where people will come to me and say, you know, we're ready. We've written everything out. We sat down at the kitchen table. We've gotten our agreements with regard to the children and the assets ready to go. 
um, you, you really can't go through that process if somebody says, well, we know how we're going to handle the children, but we don't agree as to how we're going to divide our assets. I mean, it, that approach won't work, right? You, yeah. Both parties, when you when they're going toward one of these different um, approaches, they're both pretty much on the same page. And at least, like for me, if there's if any point in time while I'm drawing up the paperwork as a divorce attorney for the for the parties, um, if they reach an impasse, I would then initially recommend, hey, let's why don't you go to a mediator? Let's sit down. I can't be the mediator and the attorney. Right. I would then maybe the next step might be go, recommending them to go to mediation. Yeah, for many of the benefits that Amy mentioned and, and just the, uh, the process itself perhaps being a little more uh, acceptable, I'm sure people want to use these alternatives, but when it gets down to the assets, it, it may be difficult to do that. What happens then if they're at a bit of a stalemate or they can't agree? Uh, you mentioned mediation. What, what do they do if they want to still stay within this process but, but have some different I would say in mediation, what I oftentimes do is kind of lay out more creative options onto the table that they may have not considered. Because again, in mediation, I'm acting as the neutral third party and I am not an attorney. I'm a therapist, right? But I, I, and I also always say to my clients, you know, I, I know what, what the statute state, I know what the judge would like, but I'm not going to give you legal advice, but I can kind of find creative means of, of um, presenting things to you or options that maybe you haven't thought about. And then you can work through some of those options yourself. For example, maybe somebody would really like to stay in the home and we talk about equity in the home versus someone else's 401k or, you know, kind of moving around money and assets so that both parties feel like they are getting what they want. Uh, Patty, Amy mentioned the statutes there. Um, I know in certain aspects of divorce, there are guidelines or perhaps even regulate rules that need to be followed. What about the division of assets? Judges uh, have certain standards that have to be met before they'll sign off on an agreement? There are no set um, standards for a division of asset as far as percentages go. <laughs> Illinois is what's called an equitable distribution state. So that means that a judge who ultimately will have to approve any of these alternative, any of these agreements arrived at through an alternative approach, um, the judge has to determine that it was an equitable division, that it was fair. Um, many people believe that the statute says all assets are divided 50-50, that there's an equal division, and it does not say that anywhere in the statute. Mm -hmm. So it's an equitable division, which allows for, as Amy was um, describing, a more um, creative approach mm -hmm. um, to an asset division. Um, where parties may um, trade assets for one another that are not traditionally traded, like, as Amy brought out, a 401k and the equity in the house. Mm -hmm. um, but there is nothing in the law that says um, all assets are divided 50-50. And I think we mentioned it, Jim, in an earlier podcast that the actual finding that the court will put in the record is that um, it's not unconscionable, that the agreement mm -hmm. 
they arrived at is not unconscionable. Right, Patty? Mm -hmm. So those are the actual words that, he, that the judge would use in the findings. And in a, particularly in a family situation, perhaps in any divorce, is, is the house uh, kind of the first thing that people look at? Um, someone wanting to stay in the, what had been the marital property, is that sort of the starting point for a lot of this? I would say that that's pretty much true in my case. What do you think, Patty, as far as? Um, I think it's it's usually the easiest place to start because aside from retirement assets, the marital home, the marital residence is usually the party's largest asset, provided they have some equity in it. Um, and it's something that has to be addressed pretty much at the beginning because we have to determine, well, are there sufficient cash asset cash assets mm -hmm. to have one party buy out the other's interest? Or is something going to have to be done along the lines of a mortgage refinance to take money out? Or um, if there's sufficient other assets, perhaps they can be used to offset the equity in the home. And, and I want to talk about some of those other assets momentarily. Amy mentioned some already. Um, but a, a couple of things that maybe people don't think about. We talked about uh, children and parenting time and, and how we care for kids in the process. They have property too. They've got their favorite bed and toys and things of that nature. Um, how, how are those handled? Do they get reviewed as well in the process to say, you know, the kids are going to go back and forth between mom and dad's place, but these things go with them or stay in one place? Um, I can just say what happens in at least the cases that I handle. I, initially, I'll leave it up to the parents to try to work together. Um, I know courts, the judges don't like to get involved in the division of personal property, you know, clothing and furniture and lamps and pictures mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, kids are attached to their to their things. And so, um, again, that term equitable, you know, you try to ha have the parents try to work together to come to an agreement, a division or allocation of that property for the children. Um, some people actually do a very detailed itemization of those things and, and um, work together to try to see who's going to keep what. And, and uh, maybe they have to get an extra, you know, something or other that the child really loves to have mm -hmm. with them at all times. If it's movable, if it's small, um, it's something the child can take back and forth between parents, and that works out easily. Um, but that's the, that's the way I would initially approach it, you know, make an inventory, work together, see where you, if there's anything that becomes an issue, let's see if we can work together to work it out. Amy, when, when children are perhaps going to be spending time at two different locations each week, each month, however it's divided up, uh, how do parents go about creating a sense of home for them so that they do feel like they have a place no matter where they are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the first things we we I work with parents kind of on post divorce or even in the planning period while the divorce is still happening, um, making sure that that both um, homes are prepared for the children, um, involving them in shopping, involving them in, you know, designing their ideal rooms or um, just piggybacking on what Annette said, um, 
having clothing at both houses, having shoes at both houses, having lunch boxes at both mm -hmm. houses. Obviously, there's some things that they have to carry in between, like a backpack and their school laptop and whatever. But having doubles of things really makes that a lot easier because you really don't want the kids lugging a bunch of things um, that they don't need to in between. Obviously, there's specific sports equipment or sports uniforms or backpack. And that's that's kind of it, you know, mm -hmm. in an ideal world. When we talk about the financial aspect of this, um, I'm sure it's common in, in some relationships in which uh, each party may has, have their own bank account. You know, they, they set money aside for themselves. Uh, maybe have some property that they've brought in from their from their family. Um, are there things that are off limits in a divorce to say, well, that has my name on it, therefore it's it's mine, it's not joint property? How does that get sorted out? Um, the title to the property is how how the property is held in whose name is not what's controlling in a divorce situation. Um, the property has to be classified either as non-marital property or marital property. And non-marital property is something that perhaps the party inherited, was a gift from a member of their family, or had prior to the marriage. And as long as anything in the way of an inheritance or property before the marriage is kept separate and not commingled with marital property, it will retain its identity as non-marital property and will not be subject to a division in a divorce. But if somebody, I'm sorry. That's all right. If somebody, um, opens up a bank account during the uh, marriage mm -hmm. just in their own name. That account is technically marital because anything earned or any debt incurred from the time of the marriage, the mm -hmm. time the parties got married to the time they get divorced, all considered marital and it doesn't matter whose name the account is in so it doesn't necessarily matter whose uh, whose name the car is titled in for example if it was bought during the marriage it's marriage it's marital right. property and it is subject to division so there's something amy mentioned i'm going to ask this and i think maybe each of you might want to jump in with it with a quick answer to it because i'd be interested in your response but i've heard so much throughout this series about collaborative divorce about working together to basically come to a decision on the divorce itself. But there are so many years ahead of these individuals. Uh, does this collaborative process or these alternative approaches, do you also plan for the future? Do you say what happens after we're divorced in terms of you know, any income or property or things like that, um, uh, retirement, whatever it might be, it, it, or once they're divorced, nothing, you know, no obligation either way? Well, once it, once the parties are divorced, at that point, anything that they earn is their income, but it can be used to either increase or decrease, as the case may be, a child support or a maintenance obligation. Um, so the income 
of both parties to a divorce in which there is a support obligation, whether child support or maintenance, that income can owe an increase or a decrease in that income can always be used to modify the support obligation. But if someone buys a new house, buys a new car after the divorce, mm -hmm. that once the divorce is finalized, mm -hmm. income at that point is then considered non-marital. The marriage is over. It's everybody's individual <laughs> property. And, you know, someone buys a new car, a new house, a vacation home, any of those type of things, that won't come into play but the increase in income that allowed for those purchases may mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so for instance if somebody comes to me and they say you know after the divorce um you know my spouse is obviously doing really well um new car new watches lots of vacations things like that and i'm you know when we got divorced he was only making x amount of dollars you know he's certainly living a lifestyle that's much more you know mm -hmm. um, expensive than what it was when we were together you know i'm concerned am i getting paid the child support i should be getting um and so that might be something where we decide we want to you know you know look at um, what is the income? Because child support is always modifiable. Um, and right. so there, that may be a situation where we decide that we want to petition um, to modify child support. Um, and in which case we'd have to exchange financial information and um, determine whether or not child support should be adjusted. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Amy, any thoughts on uh, what happens after divorce in terms of trying to maintain the collaborative approach? Yeah, we always write into, and I think all three of us do this, we write into our agreements that the parties should seek mediation first, um, in what, in what we call post-decree, right? So after a divorce. Um, so if they if they used a or an alternative approach in the beginning, it's obviously um, emphasized that they should in post-decree as well it, as, as, as an alternative to litigation. So um I talk about that, you know, in the beginning of the process. Hey, when you guys um, are divorced, some issues might arise some things might come up between you. And my advice is to come back to a collaborative or alternative approach so that, you know, this this peaceful relationship that you've worked so hard on to build and to finalize um, continues. And before we go, one quick question is that. I plug some of your colleagues, uh, Annette and Patty. We're also doing a three-part series on uh, taxes right now with uh, several of your partners. Um, if a couple had been filing joint tax returns after a divorce, are they then responsible for taxes completely on their own? After after the divorce, um, so if they were to divorce like right now in 2022, they would typically, you know, file jointly for 2022. Um, if, but then in 2023, of course, they would be filing individual tax returns Great. for the following well, year. Yeah, we've, we've uh, come to the end of, of time here that we have for this series. It's been very helpful, very informative. Uh, before I let each of you go, I want to just kind of get a quick comment from each of you. And uh, we'll start with uh, our representatives from the Bell Law, Patty Levinson, first of all, uh, Quick recap, any recommendations you would have here in terms of people who unfortunately are in a divorce situation and the, the advantages of seeking some alternative approach? To support? 
Well, I think the biggest advantage to any of the alternative approaches is that it keeps the parties in control of their divorce and their lives going forward. They are not looking for a judge to impose an order on them. Rather, they are looking to reach agreements with their spouse that will be honored after the divorce and will allow them to reorganize their family and redevelop their relationship with each other in a different way so that they can be effective co-parents to their children. And Annette, you mentioned people coming to you with an agreement on paper already. Uh, if they've reached a point of divorce, I'm sure there's many differences, but how valuable is it for them to really spend the time to try and do this amicably? Um, if they can sit down and work together with one another, um, it really makes the process really expeditious and a lot less expensive. Um, mm -hmm. I also wanted to make the comment that, and so it is the better route to go, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, when people come to me, though, um, I think sometimes they feel like, oh, we're starting this, at, you know, with one attorney. She's representing the wife, you know, and the other spouse may feel like, well, unsettled. At any point in time, if you may have started off with one attorney, the other person can get their own attorney if there's a bump in the road or something like that. So it's not like a point of no return if you go that route. Um, but the idea is that if the objective from the parties is to work something out as quickly and as amicably as possible, then they just need to articulate that to their attorney. And, and the attorney, you know, a good attorney is going to follow uh, what the goals of the clients are. Amy, you, you mentioned, you know, you're not an attorney, but, but as founder of Balance Wellness Collective uh, and with your background in, in family and marriage therapy, um, divorce isn't easy. But as we met, said, there's, there's a lot ahead in these people's lives. So uh, I imagine that you work with them to make sure that they come out of it as whole as possible. Absolutely. You know, obviously, I, I recommend therapy for both parties and um, joint co-parenting work through the process and after. Um, and then I want to make one more comment about all these processes in general. It's, mm -hmm. it's researched that they do hold up better. Um, post-divorce. So people that worked together to finalize their divorces are much more likely to both go forward um, after the divorce is finalized and, and, and hold up their agreements and also um, continue to work together as a team, which makes their lives a lot easier, a lot less stressful, and their children's lives a lot easier and less stressful as well. And Amy, it's been great to have you on Chicago's Legal Latte for this series, but um, you shared a lot of great information. I'm sure people may, may need to learn more. Can you give us information on how to find out more about your practice? Yes, you can visit me at www.amywilhelmi.com and balancewellnesscollective.com. The phone number is 847-450-0524. And uh, Annette and Patty, highly regarded uh, practice at LaBelle Law uh, in terms of family law, um, great reputation throughout the communities. People may need to talk to you. Uh, how do they follow up with LaBelle Law? It's www.lavellelaw.com, and the main number is 847-705-7555, and we can be reached at either of those, those uh, points of contact. Thank you so much. Hi, Levinson. Amy Wilhelmy and Annette Corrigan, it's great to have you on this series, and we appreciate all your input and 
sharing information. And thanks so much for being here. I'm sure we'll follow up with you and maybe get together again for another conversation. Great. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everybody.